Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrew and I'm here with Chris Ragg, Peter Coghill and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing when we use plates, when we use bowls and why. So, Chris, I believe you recently faced a dilemma on this front. Uh, can you tell us about it? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, I was um, I was making a, a meal which involved using the uh, the leftovers from um, the previous day's meal, uh, and uh, I made the completed this this meal uh, and came to serve it to myself. I feel like explaining what the meal is is important at this point. Okay, the meal involved um, a uh, roast dinner, so, uh, you know, roast chicken and uh, Yorkshire pudding, roast potatoes, um, various vegetables, uh, one of which was uh, the pea, the common pea, um, and also gravy, I should, uh, I, I should note. So this was sort of reheated and sliced and fried and, uh, and, then, and then served, um, and I was then what should I serve this this meal in? I opened the, the kitchen cupboard, was faced with plates or bowls. And because it contained peas, uh, I had this sense it had to it had to be served on on a plate. It would have been much more practical to uh, have it in a bowl and to eat it with perhaps a spoon. Uh, but that just seemed indecent in some way. It should be on a plate with a with a fork, a knife and fork. Uh, and it le- led me to start thinking about um, here was a decision being made almost on my behalf um, by some set of rules I couldn't really see uh, but which were, were governing my behavior never, nevertheless and I started to think what, what you know what's going on with that in fact it's even worse than that in that I'm now with my five-year-old daughter propagating this set of rules you know she insists when we have anything with peas in she wants to eat it with a spoon and my wife and I are you're too you're too old to eat your peas with a spoon and I'm like but why it's much easier to eat peas with a spoon than it is uh, with a fork and yet so it's something around social convention it's not that I worry that she'll be ostracized from from polite society or it's just there's this set of rules that seem rigid in some way that help us make decisions and sometimes those decisions i can't always see the the point of those decisions so yeah so the people who who are you know uh, trying to negotiate the middle east peace process have got it easy compared to chris and his easy peasy yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean what a nightmare Let's hope um, none of us ever have to suffer this time. But the point is that, so what I'm saying is, they are probably they are probably making decisions about the Middle East peace process governed by some set of rules, like you know, okay, so um, the Palestinians and the Israelis they never sit on the same side of the table or something uh, that are probably governing the way negotiations are going that are based on some hidden set of rules that that aren't explicit and maybe suboptimal if we could um, so if we could fix the peas problem then you know what yeah. else follows well quite you know. but I, I think it's about transparency i think it's about uh trying to understand what these social conventions are about they're not necessarily social conventions but what these these kind of cultural in, cultural implicit rules are about are they are they a help or, or a hindrance and if they could help the peas process yeah. yeah. Um, well, should we, should we explore a little bit why why social conventions exist and why they're useful? 
and then perhaps when they break down and things. So, I mean, they, they, they exist for a reason. They, I think they're, they're similar in a way to language and, uh, and having a common protocol for communication. It's a social protocol that if I go to Fraser's house um, and he's serving a meal, he can expect me to use uh, a certain type of cutlery and, 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 and be okay with that. And it makes Fraser's life easy. It doesn't have to cater for every, every possible combination of, of sticks and bowls and plates and, uh, and then allow me to choose. He'll just accept that I'll accept whatever. And so there's, a, there's a, some sort of trade-off there. If I don't particularly like using a fork for peas, uh, but I'm okay with that, then it's probably a lower cost for me just to, to, to go along with it. Uh, than it is to kick up a fuss and I might lose some sort of social capital by being peculiar, unnecessarily fussy. So there's a sort of, there's, a, there's a, an important uh, greasing of the social dynamic that these social protocols give you. And it, and it lowers the cognitive burden for when you're dealing with people. You know that somebody's going to, you're, you're hoping to work with somebody on achieving a common aim, like eating a meal in this case, then you can expect them to um, conform to a certain standard and, and still accomplish what they're achieving so that's that, that I think that's broadly why they exist but what I find interesting is why are they so persistent and resilient so this so why 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 did you feel why was your urge so strong to go for the plate rather than a bowl and this is that this is the point it's so so it wasn't as if uh, th- this was a meal I was eating late at night on my own so it wasn't as if there was anyone to tut at me as I used my spoon and bowl except for uh, every listener of this podcast well quite <laughs> yes yes well rest assured I used I used a fork and plate as I should well because um, I mean I think I've got the answer I've got the answer and this sort of ties in with um, a separate project I have at the moment. Um, I was talking to you about it earlier, Nick. There's actually a photo project um, that's about identity. And it's about, you know, am I Scottish? Am I English? Am I Jamaican? Am I? And it's all about identity in the context of being British as well. And, and identity actually can be quite fluid because it can change from one generation to the next. You can have German, then Argentinian, then English, for example, in three generations. But actually, identity can be quite fixed because it tends to get fixed in our formative years, okay, when we're kids. Um, and I would suggest that that's the, for the same reason here is because of the first eight years of your life, let's say, is that you're always told this is how you must eat peas. And it gets fixed because of that behavior gets fixed in those formative years. So I think... That's the answer, well, and it's then not, it becomes because it? it doesn't explain where that comes from. You've just oh, okay. Well, you isn't it? Well, I'd say, I think we need to. Get, there's a couple of things here where I think we, we're skating over some some big or making some big assumptions. Okay, it it isn't. Peter's talking about <clears throat> one particular type of norm, which is a sort of coordination issue, where we all just have to agree to do things one way, and it doesn't much matter which way that is. So, classic example is you know driving driving on the left in the UK, and as long as we all do it, it's fine. It could just. But you'd as feel be okay right. about that if you were doing it on the other side <laughs> no, of another country. Right. Right, you wouldn't um, feel the same guilt that, that that Chris felt. Look, I'm sure if Chris went on holiday to some weird part of you know Mongolia where they are happy to eat peas in bowls, he would feel better about himself. I don't okay, think he okay, would. Okay, look. Anyway, the point the point is that um, that is only one type of uh, of sort of norm because there's other types of norms and they actually require different explanations. I think. Uh, first of all, there's norms which are actually just better, right? So why did we st- why did we start using forks, for example? Um, 
It wasn't just some weird new fad. Forks are better. They make eating easier and less dirty. We don't need to explain why we started using forks. They are just better. That's how technology proliferates, because someone comes up with a better way of doing something. And, you know, it, it takes off at the speed of information. And that's fine. We don't need to worry about that. Then then we, there's other, there's the classic sort of coordination things, yeah, where you've got, um, where, where we've got to kind of agree to do things the same way, but it doesn't matter which way. Um, where it starts to get trickier is where, where there are certain kinds of behavior which are, let's say, just you know, good for me, but bad for you. So littering, for example, like we've got a very different attitude to littering now than we did when I was a kid. When I was a kid, it was, you know, acceptable. It, people would tut at you if you littered, but you it wasn't anywhere near as much as of a sort of social opprobrium as, we, as, as there is now. Smoking in pubs, you know, that was something where in the past we tolerated it. Now we don't. None of our understanding... Uh, has changed but we have just we've sort of moved towards a, a different equilibrium so you know that and and to do that requires kind of collective action so it's, it's hard to move around but you know we know that there's a good reason to do we want we probably don't want people doing bad things uh uh if it sort of helps them and harms other people there's also the issue of things which are you know bad for me but good for you so things like uh, uh just you know uh, me holding doors open for example that's a cultural expectation you know that whether or not you stand up to let people sit down on the tube you know that's something which was much more you know 30 years ago men would stand up to let women sit down now they only do it if they're if they think they're pregnant by and large you know so that's that's an example where we've shifted um again it's a matter of preference the really complicated and difficult things are when there's a social norm which is bad for everyone and no one wants it but we all keep doing it and and I think, you know, the, the classic examples of that are the sort of arms races, um, you know, kind of co corporate profiteering, uh, things like the, the things that led up to the financial crisis, this sort of culture of everyone was taking risks. Everyone was taking risks because everyone else was doing it. Uh, everyone knew it was bad. Everyone knew they shouldn't be doing it. And somehow we all just carried on doing it. Those and, and, and those are the norms which we know we want to change. But anyway, I, I suppose it's not just as simple as coordination. Social norms have... That they have impacts as well. And so the question is, is Chris doing something he knows is wrong and is worse? Is it just a matter of choice? Or is it, you know, is it actually better? Is it for some reason better to use a plate for a reason we haven't thought of? Well, hold on. So, I mean, you've, 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 you've broadened it out quite a lot there. And there's a few different categories we're talking about, it seems to me. But all we're talking about here is one particular category, which I'll stand by what I say, which I think is, it's, it, it just feels so, um, it's got strong emotions attached to it because it was brought about during a formative period. And, and when you were talking about cultural norms, then that's, that's what we're talking about. Right. But I think you've, I like that you've broadened the discussion on, and, and sort of deepened it as well. But uh, Chris, you... Well, I was just going to say, you know, so I, so I see myself now um, ingraining in my own children this weird set of uh, um, things that help you make decisions uh, but that aren't necessarily the the right decisions to make and so so yes they will have a strong emotional attachment perhaps to that set of rules because it was instilled in them as a child but that fundamentally still gets to the issue of what why societally are we ingraining certain things in our in our children and um, you know, I guess a degree of it comes down to social capital and, um, you know, are you the type of person who um, has a 
has a tattoo or something or are you not the type of person who has a tattoo and what that says about you in uh in you know people with and without tattooed company uh so 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 there's that element of it there's the instilling social capital in your in your children um but it's it's also i i think something something deeper than that about um trying to trying to help us trying to minimize the amount of decisions we have to make at any at any time that they're almost governed for us so we we yeah. just we just access our our you know our index of what we, what it is we're supposed yeah, to do so, hold, hold on nick just, sorry hold on nick so peter you wanted to come in with yeah, something i think there is you know i think you're right to be concerned because if you if you were dogmatic about the use of use of plates for peas extending it beyond this example but for the sake of argument uh, on your children uh, and there was an opportunity to develop a whole new crockery system that was far superior then they're less likely i would posit to come up with that because they just see peas and they always think plates um, whereas if they have the freedom to experiment and you say well actually you choose what kind of color you want and daddy actually i've got a better idea for how we could do this entirely but, but, but yeah but i think the, i think the interesting thing about these types of rules is they are um kind of extensible or 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 you can work with them so i'd never necessarily considered the peas on a plate issue but if you give me some other meal i'll be able to put it into plate plate or a bowl decision you know pasta yeah that's acceptable you can have that in a in a bowl but um uh, but you you haven't made this explicit to yourself you're sort of fishing around and you think okay that for some reason that meal feels like another meal which i would put on a plate and so that's a that's a plate meal and that's a that's a bowl meal and i've that that that's quite a useful um cognitive shortcut to make decisions rather than to think about everything yeah. in in how, specific you think how did we do this last time that seemed to work let's do that well, yeah i mean I, I so i think i think the distinct there's a distinct we could make a useful distinction here between and i think what we're talking about is the sort of distinction between etiquette and politeness right where politeness is a principle it's about being nice to other people being considerate about other people etiquette is a set of rules to follow now etiquette uh presumably maps onto politeness in some world you know let's say sort of late victorian uh england um etiquette was probably synonymous with politeness but of course the, the problem is and i think we're touched on this that we are do not always think about things from first principles as we've always we've evolved not to to save effort we've evolved to be conformist um, because actually that's most of the time easier than having to work everything out yourself. It's much easier to just do what other people are doing. The problem is when we confuse um, following a rule with with uh, following a principle. And that's that that's where it all that's where I think a lot of conflict comes from. You know, classically, the most famous satirical example being from Gulliver's Travels, where you know there are there's a sort of war between the the big Indians and the and the little Indians about which way up you should eat your boiled egg. You know, which is actually stands in for a lot of you know cultural uh, conflict, which is actually just about doing things differently not not one yeah. one one team doing it doing so it better beyond, so but we should always bear in mind that it's still possible cultural it that you can have cultural conflict about things that are just totally and utterly coordination issues 
But just because you have a cultural conflict, it doesn't mean it's a coordination issue. You can have cultural conflict that is meaningful and where actually one side is right. And, and you know, the, the example I think I've used in another podcast is queuing. I think queuing is better. It's just better uh, all round. It's more efficient than, than having a culture where you don't queue or you jump queues. Um, so that's that's an example of, you know, you've got to try and work out what kind of what kind of rule it is and whether or not it has a foundation before yeah. you can start some you know, are useful and some it. are not yeah uh, beyond beyond yeah beyond this sort of cultural uh, equality and cosmopolitan attitude that that when you're if you're seeking the optimum way of doing something dogmatic adherent to, adherence to rules is probably going to be a less uh, optimal solution than finding a better one um, and so in any in any cultural norm you need to find a balance of deviance that invites new ways and new innovations of doing things in order to find an optimal solution. Well, that's that's evolution, isn't it? Isn't it? That's um, evolution is about deviance within from one generation to the next in genes that, and they they deviate. Um, Partly, yeah. They, when it comes to adaptation, but it's uh, I think a bigger bigger part of evolution is the ability to adapt within your current phenotype. So if you if you without any kind of modification, if you're able to exploit a a, a new okay. opportunity, then you're in a stronger position. Well, yeah, sort of. Although there's you know I think there's some evidence that um, people get more authoritarian and more rule focused in in times of economic hardship, uh, which is quite interesting. I think that's I'd suggest that being innovative and creative and questioning everything is not always optimal sometimes it is better just to knuckle down i think a good example is the if you look at the way the military operates um you know even people people are trained to follow orders they think are wrong because that's still better than having a culture where everyone questions the orders and says well it's, it, how do we know we, there isn't a better way of doing this i think you know we being innovative asking the right questions asking questions about why we're doing things is all very well but there's a reason that our instinct is to not do that often yes i like that and actually that makes me think of sometimes with my kids when i just go look just do it when i've just had enough it's great isn't it wonderful to have kids who children raise them to ask questions and question authority etc etc sometimes no look just unless you're do the it. authority they're questioning in which yeah. case completely <laughs> unacceptable yeah listen um I really, I really enjoyed that there's lots of things there i liked um but let's 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 wrap these things up but also we still got we've still got time there's a few questions i want to ask first of all has anyone noticed that uh, that chris and peter are wearing the same socks they're similar i think they're different colors from yeah. my from my from my from my um angle and distance they look pretty much the same a visual right. demonstration for the podcast listeners yeah. yeah is it a is it is it a cultural thing i don't know think? if this are relates they, are they to... sort of the, i think they're the kind blue, of the blue toad sock the, the, people the blue the, the <laughs> kind of sock with color on the toe and heel are just very very common so yeah no i i am and always will be a stripy sock man and i hate these blue toad sock people yes. with a passion uh, but at least we don't have holes in our socks. I was going to well, say you obviously also you're one of those holy people as well, right? I do. I well, I mean, my uh, house has uh, wooden floorboards, so the nails are always. Sort oh, that's of why. Tearing yeah, holes yeah, in my okay. socks. Listen, it's second, not I'm a there's a convenient excuse somewhere. Yeah. Second question: 
Chris, something I often wonder with my leftovers on a on a, from a from a from a Sunday roast is what to do with the gravy because it's it, one it's just a part of the meal that was it, it, that probably has about the most um, input into it or the most um, I find it the trickiest to do and the hardest to get right and then I've always got loads of gravy left over at the end I never know what to do with it so can one just mix it up in the rest and do a bubble and, and bring put that into the bubble and squeak mix. So, so it depends how much gravy you've got, of yeah. course. But uh, I think you fry it uh, without the gravy, right? And then at the last minute, you apply the gravy. Okay, so just use it as gravy again, reheated. Yeah. I just want uh, uh, it, gravy. I used to, I used to be like you, Fraser. I used to be, you know, I've got to get the best sticking. Always, oh, it needs a bit of lemon juice, and then well, uh, the red wine needs to simmer down. It's sure. going to be absolutely. And I just came to the conclusion that it just wasn't as nice as as Bisto, and now. I just use Bisto by default. And I used, I used to that. Okay. I don't care what society says. Bisto is great, and it's and it's like you boil a kettle and it's done. And I, and I do what my mum always did, which was just use Bisto. And then if it's the right kind of joint, the juices go into it. But I used to think that you two were so wise. But, but yeah, yeah. See, I think wisdom is about is about is about asking that question. I think this is this is why I'm Should different. I use to, Bisto? This is this is why I'm different to what I was like ten years ago. I would never have admitted to using Bisto, uh, but you know I've discovered that it's better. So, you, so this is a good example where you're you're just being conformist, whereas I'm you know I'm, I've questioned it and said you just, know what this middle class thing that you have to make your own gravy like you're a Michelin starred restaurant, it's just not as nice as Bisto. That would be a nice argument. If, if Sorry, I should, we should say that other gravy brands are available. Sure. This would be a nice argument were it not for the fact that you're wrong. Because just just, just um, empirically, you could... And in fact, we could do a... a, a, a we could go out to the streets and, and sort of blind taste with, you know, try these three things, okay? And I guarantee you that 90% of the time... No, more than 90% of the time, people go, I'll go for that one over there, which is the, the non-Bisto one. You're going to have to get people to drink gravy, though, which I, I think is... But we can make... No, but, no, but we can so make... Four and it's very difficult. Just yeah, to, yeah, see, white, white, but people used to drink gravy. Uh, well, they used to drink Oxo cubes, didn't they? Yeah. Beef, beef tea. And yeah. Um, yeah, now no one would drink an Oxo cube. But right, so what's going on? I mean, you know, this is another example where so- social change has pushed out something which was actually superior. Yeah. Listen, I want to, I don't want to get bogged down in gravy. Um, there's a, there's, <laughs> although it wouldn't be too bad. I was just going to raise a social norm. Well, it's not really a social norm. It's where social norms kind of conflict. But what I really hate is when you go to somebody's house and you're expected to take your shoes off. What's that about? It's like they, they've chosen to have white carpets, not me, and I'm their guest. So why not let me walk in with my? Yeah, but you do. I mean, up? yeah, I suppose. No, I, and I, I. This is why I defend being basically uh, not bothered, which is my attitude. Like I don't have. There's no policy in this house. Some people have a shoes on policy, uh, but there's also yeah, you get a lot of people with the shoes off policy. I just don't care. Like, and I don't. And I, it's a bit like you know, I don't. This is why I don't like coasters. Coasters are a way of making you feel bad. Um, you know, why just... The table is doing the job of holding the, the cup. It, it's just... I, I think life is easier if you don't have all these rules that you feel like you should be following. Um, and, you know, as long as you, you live your life according to a kind of mill-style liberalism that you don't go around hurting people, you know... these. But what about if a you burn a these... hole in the table? Well, who cares? Or spill coffee on the table. They do. You're hurting them. Yeah, no, that's fine. But I mean, it's my table. Yeah, maybe that's they my should table, buy tables that are less precious. Okay, you're, I hadn't well, realised you were such a libertarian, yeah, Nick. Um, <laughs> listen, well, I think that's a good point, though. That's, it's the, the social norms are useful when they help us 
coordinate and get things done and don't harm when as soon as they are used for harm so when social norms are used to exclude people um, like etiquette it was invented to mark people out as beings of a certain social class that's when it becomes dangerous and we something needs to probably be done about it dangerous and actually quite useful okay let's wrap up there um so i don't i don't think we've uh, the thing is that there is no conclusion here because the fact is that for for the example that i used and that chris used we will remain perpetually uncomfortable about it nothing will ever change that um that's my thought um so we'll wrap up there um thank you gentlemen um thank you as always to listening to the cognitive engineering podcast with peter coghill nick hare and chris rag of aleph insights i'm fraser mcgrewer uh thank you for listening until next time bye bye (music) Thank you.